Um, so on a recent flight, uh, I was watching, you know, you can watch different movies and TV shows. So I was watching an episode of Ted Lasso. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's on a cable network. Um, but on the a plane, I was able to watch an episode of it. I'm not recommending the series. The language is quite rough. And, you know, so I'm not in any way. But this one episode just really captured my attention. And the premise, I don't know if you're familiar at all, but it, it, again, it's this uh, cable TV show. The premise is, is the, the central character is Ted uh, Lasso. Uh, played by Jason Sudeikis from Saturday Night Live uh, fame. And, uh, but in this uh, episode, in this series, Ted, he's a U.S. college football coach uh, at a minor level. So not even like a national team like Alabama or, or something. It's, it's a smaller college, Division II actually, who is hired by a premier English soccer team in England, in London. And Originally, he was hired as an act of sabotage by the owner. He wanted his team to lose, so he wanted to, or she wanted to hire the worst possible coach she could find, so she brings Ted over to fill this role. Uh, but over the course of the series, Ted wins them over. And so at the end of season one, it's this, uh, the, the, the last uh, the season ending uh, uh, for the... Uh... But anyways, Ted's team, it's Richmond, is the name of their city uh, team, they're playing Manchester, which is the number one team, you know, in the league. It's, it's like, you know, the, one of the best in the world. And uh, everyone is expecting them to lose. No one's expecting them to, to do well. Uh, but the, the fact is, the way the things played out, this enti their entire season hangs on this one game. And if they win it, they continue on. If they lose, it's just a disaster. And in the course of the game, Richmond, Ted's team, they play their hearts out. I mean, it is just a knockdown, drag out fight. It's back and forth the entire game. And in the last minute, they score. Literally within the last minute, within 60 seconds of the end of the game, they score and they tie the game. Which, if you know soccer, is sometimes good enough to actually keep you going. Tie is a good thing. Here in the US, we don't like ties so much. But there, this was a really good thing. And they're celebrating and the joy. You know, it's funny because in the TV show, they're, you know, they're playing, they, you know, they, they show the camera on the coaches and they're all celebrating. And, and the players are just joyous. And because all season long, they've been struggling and come to this point, another winning. It even showed a couple of clips from a few pubs. And all the fans in the pubs are, you know, shouting and they're yelling and screaming because they're all excited. Um, and then. As the referee is about ready to blow the whistle to the end of the game, Manchester scores a goal. Out of nowhere, it's, it catches everyone off guard. No one was expecting it. And the camera again goes to the coaches, and they're just, they're just, they're in like shock. They're just, there's no expression on their faces. The players on the field are literally dropping to the ground in tears. Because they were, they were that close. And the fans and the, the pubs, they were all devastated. And just everywhere, everyone was devastated. You ever feel that way? Just where the bottom gets pulled out from underneath you, you think you're that close and it doesn't happen. Now, maybe it wasn't a sports team. Maybe it wasn't the Panthers or the Hornets that uh, lost. But maybe it was a job that you really wanted. And you, you, you knew it was yours, and then at the very last minute, they decide to go with someone else. Or maybe it's a relationship you thought that was going somewhere, 
and the other person doesn't think so, and that doesn't end well. Or maybe it's someone you put a lot of faith in, and then they end up betraying your trust, feeling devastated. I suspect that each one of us can identify with that feeling in one form or another. Well, in the locker room after the game, Ted walks in, and it's just, it's dead silent. It's just one of these very unusual. You walk in the locker room, there's always noise and people moving around. It was just eerily quiet. <clears throat> no one's talking. No one's even moving. They're all just kind of just sitting there. And Ted gets their attention, look at him. And he says these words. <clears throat> he says, hey, <clears throat> you all played a heck of a game out there. You may not have won, but you definitely succeeded. You gave the champs 90 minutes of all they could handle. Now look, this is a sad moment right here for all of us. Ain't nothing I can say standing in front of you right now that can take that away. But please do me this favor, will you? Lift up your heads and look around this locker room. Look at everybody else in here. And I want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these other folks. Because I promise you, there is something worse out there than being sad. And that is being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. Let's be sad now. Let's be sad together. And then we move forward. And he walks out of the room, and that's the end of the show. And I love that. There's something worse out there than being sad, and that is being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. I love that. What a great, great writing, but so very true, isn't it? So very true. The idea that you're not alone really is a common theme in the Bible. I mean, Deuteronomy 31, very early on, we read that God is always with us. In fact, God himself promises this. He says to, talking to Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Later on in, in uh, Psalm 23, David found comfort knowing that God was with him. And he wrote, even though I walk through the darkest valley, some of you know this as the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. And that's just as true today as it was back then. God is always with us. With us. Then when we get to the New Testament, the idea of never being alone takes on an additional feature. When we give our life to Jesus, we become part of the family of God. Paul even referred to people in his letters as brothers and sisters, very much part of the family. And as part of God's family, we have one another to help us get through life. Now, as one might imagine, navigating through those relationships has challenges. Like any family, there are differences in how we approach life. There's personality difference. Um, we have individuals just adjusting to one another getting used to each other, the different quirks and different personalities. And like a healthy family, the members of a healthy community of faith find strength and life by learning how to walk through life together. 
Today is the last in our series on Faith Alive, as we're walking through the book of First Thessalonians. Now, if you remember uh, from our previous weeks, uh, Paul is writing this letter to the group in the city of Thessalonica, which is in Greece. Paul was actually in a different city in Greece. He wrote this letter while he was on his second missionary journey, if you will, from the book of Acts. And in this journey, they started off in Greece, and they started in Philippi. Persecution rose up, so they moved to Thessalonica. Persecution rose up there, so they moved on uh, to other cities, and they kept moving on, but he's now in, in Corinth. But he's still worried about the new Christ followers that are up in Thessalonica. I'm not sure why Thessalonica more than some of the other towns, but this group in particular Paul was concerned about. And he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on him. And uh, Timothy is there, gone for a period of time, and he comes back. And with a generally positive report about them, what good things are going on, but then Paul writes this letter. I think we need to remember that the people here writing to are very new Christians, very new Christ followers, maybe a few months, certainly no longer than a year that they've been given their life to Jesus and are following him. And because of that, they're still influenced by the culture out of which they came. And a culture that was very similar to ours today, significant political upheaval going on there. They were under the, they're being occupied by Rome. Even in this part of Greece, Rome was still the controlling entity. They had a godless spirituality. They're very spiritual, but God's not part of it. It's just this spirituality that they create on their own. Very immoral, very unethical. And in his letter, Paul is reminding the people that as a Christ follower, you're to behave in a way that honors Jesus. And so he talks about sexual immorality and that we need to honor God with our bodies and not just be looking out for our own selfish pleasure. He also had to teach the people to think biblically. And their part of it had to do with just the return of Jesus, which Jesus talked about. And we looked at that last week. And today, Paul reminds people to that they need to be able to walk through life uh, together. So again, if you have your Bible, I want to turn to uh, verse 12. We're going to start there. Or you can watch on the screen or your app, whatever, uh, whatever you have. First Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for these words of Paul uh, as he wrote to the group in Thessalonica 2,000 plus years ago. And yet today, we read these words and we can find encouragement and find guidance and direction and strength. Uh, so Lord, I just pray and ask for your, um, your anointing, your blessing as I would uh, share and kind of unwrap these a little bit more that everyone would hear what they need to hear from you this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been on a phone conversation with someone 
And you know, because of the time that you're kind of, you need to be wrapping up the conversation, but there's still a few more things you wanted to say. So you throw a few things in there. Um, you know, uh, um, like I know it's, we did this especially with our kids when they were in college. And you're chit-chatting, you talk with them, and you, but you realize, you know, it's probably 50 minutes and you can kind of, you're starting to get monosyllabic um, responses for them, you know, yes, no, all right, all right you're done. It's kind of, you kind of see it. And so, but yet there's a couple things you want to say. And so, or, so, yeah, hey, uh, before we hang up, can you, you know, please, you know, in the next few days, please let us know when you're coming home for a break. You know, when you, when you expect to show up. Or another one was, uh, please call your grandparents. You know, they would really appreciate that. Um, or, you know, for me, I'm always, hey, don't forget to get the oil changed in your car. You know, so things that you just, you need to get out there. You ever done that? Just kind of random things. You're, it's really not any sequence. Just not, it's just, uh, just kind of out there. Well, that's kind of the sense I get when I read through this passage. That Paul is getting to the end of his letter, but he's got a few other things to say, <clears throat> but he doesn't really have the time to kind of go into elaborate or kind of talk about them at length. So it just kind of just pushes them all together into a kind of a concluding thought. And, and that's kind of the sense I had uh, here. Important things, but really kind of random and what's interesting, in keeping this idea of family, twice he referred to the people as brothers and sisters. Now, within this family of faith, there are certain... <clears throat> there... <laughs> I'm sorry, this really distracted me. On my iPad here, somebody popped up that someone here was looking for a password to our Wi-Fi and asked if I wanted to share with them. Um, so, <laughs> I know. Debbie, Debbie, you're good. <laughs> Gotta love Apple, right? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just too random not to say something. <sighs> okay. Okay, where was I? Okay. So within this family of faith, there are certain ways that we ought to live that Paul's talking about. And one of them, it says, we need to support spiritual leadership. <clears throat> he says, brothers and sisters, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Who's Paul talking about here? Now, I, it's generally understood, and I've heard this before in others and other readings and heard from other people, that it's generally understood that he's referring to pastors. Um, which is why this verse is among one of the favorites for most pastors. Um, you know, hold me in high regard is a thing there. But the problem with that passage, the problem with that understanding is that pastors, as we know them today, did not exist at this point in time. That role had not evolved or developed. And so the question for me is, who's in charge of this group? Because in this passage, and even in Acts, we don't get a sense that there's one person that's in charge. And the letter itself is addressed to the church of the Thessalonians, which means it's to everybody. So Paul is not talking about one specific person. And from what I can tell, at this point in time in history, there, in any church, there's not one person that's really in charge, as we would know today. There's a pastor who kind of oversees that particular group. So that, with that in mind, then who's Paul talking about? I think he's talking about um, anyone who gives their time and effort to care for you in the Lord. So with an application for us, he is, he's talking about Julia, and he's talking about Kate, and he's talking about Carolina, and Carolyn, and Elaine, and Cameron, and Dave, and Tony, and yes, me too. I think I'm in there as well. 
but he's also talking about those who adjust the volume and lights, those who advance the slides, those who play an instrument and sing, those who watch our kids and those who teach our kids, those who make coffee and those who clean up. Hold them in highest regard because of their work. Show value to people by letting them know that you appreciate their efforts. That's what Paul's trying to say. And then Paul says, live in peace with each other, which is how the NIV uh, frames that statement, which seems to imply that it's kind of a different directive. Come on, these random things are right. First, honor your leaders, now live in peace. And we even took it a step further in the sermon outline that we actually said work for unity as we live in peace. I actually think a better translation of that is be at peace. Be at peace. I think the idea of living in peace is tied to the previous instructions to hold, those, uh, to hold in high regard those who serve. Which really makes sense because all of us want to be at a place or work at a place where people are honored and valued. And when people feel valued and they feel appreciated, there's generally peace. Paul then goes on to also say that you need to challenge those who are idle and disruptive. Um, the Greek in there actually says you need to admonish the disorderly. Which again, appears really random, doesn't it? Because there's no context of, wait, there's people you know, disrupting meetings, you know, yelling and screaming or doing something. So who, how, disorderly, what does that look like? And you know, for me, again, just given the context about order, uh, honoring those who serve, the idea of disorderly suggests people who are part of the family but weren't pulling their share, who weren't doing their part. You know, uh, growing up, um, others, I have three other siblings. There's four of us kids, and all of us had a role to play in the family, uh, whether it was doing dishes, you know, cleaning, vacuuming, you know, making beds, um, clean a garage. You know, I, I didn't do laundry. I never had to do laundry growing up, but I did wash dishes, and we did not have a dishwasher. We really struggled and suffered back then. Um, I did cut the grass. I was a primary grass cutter, and I cleaned bathrooms, and so, so there's plenty of work to do. And I think what Paul is saying here, if the community of faith is to work, everyone has to play their part. And then Paul continues in verse 14. He says, help those who are disheartened and struggling in their faith walk. Be patient as we are all in process. In this one sentence, Paul made multiple requests that I think are, are really related to one another. Because he says, admonish the disorderly, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, which is, I think, a reference to self-control, not necessarily physical weakness, a spiritual weakness, I think that's what he's saying here. And then he says, and be patient with everyone. I think in this one sentence, although the ideas seem kind of random, I think in this one sentence, Paul acknowledged that in any group of Christ followers, it will be an imperfect group. People will have their different personalities, they'll have their different interests, they have different values, different priorities, and there will be people who just disagree with you about things. And that's why Paul, I think, ended his thoughts by encouraging people to be kind to one another as differences are resolved. Specifically, he says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is basic Christian teaching, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, this is a very uh, prominent theme in his teaching. In Matthew chapter 5, very early in his ministry, he says, but I say, love your enemies, 
Pray for those who persecute you. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. It really was countercultural because the culture was one of retaliation. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If somebody did something to you, you do something back. And so what Jesus was saying, and the way of the Christ follower is to be countercultural. <clears throat> and Paul was reminding people that as Christ followers, even though they had differences from one another, they could no longer behave like people outside the faith. They were to be different. They were to be different. So with all that diversity, with all that's out there, what united them? What actually kept them together? What keeps us together? What unites us? Jesus. And because of Jesus, they could choose an attitude of joy. They could live connected to God. They could cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And they could embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, at the beginning of my talk, I, made, I said that the verses that we had read kind of felt random and arbitrary, and that he was just kind of throwing some things at the end of his letter. And the more I work through this sermon and through that passage, I actually come to really think that's no longer the case. I think at the heart of it all, Paul was telling people that they were not alone. God was always with them, and they had one another. And I would say the same thing for each of us today. Whatever you're going through in life, whatever you're going through in life, you're not alone. You have a family. Brothers and sisters who are with you and who will walk beside you through life. And more importantly than that, <clears throat> God has promised to be with us in every situation. And that, I think, is the most important thing. Because sometimes just knowing that God is with you, even though you don't understand the circumstances, it doesn't change the circumstances, but just knowing that God is with you is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, so very grateful. Um, just, God, for all that you do. I'm so thankful, Lord, that uh, we do have one another. And Father, this, um, as wonderful as uh, the people of Grace Statesville are, um, Father, we're not perfect. Um, we have issues. <laughs> At the same time, Lord God, time and again, I've just seen people go out of their way to be inconvenienced, uh, to give of their time, give of their money, uh, to benefit someone else. And so, Lord, we, we, we know that this is true. And, uh, Father, I'm, I'm so grateful that this is not something I have to do to convince people. Lord, it's what you've called me to do is just affirm people in what's already happening. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I'm also aware that for some of us, Lord, there's certain things in our life right now, certain circumstances that really, in some ways, just seem almost unmanageable. And, Father, we don't have answers. We don't understand we have more questions, Father, than we could ever seem to find answers. And yet, Lord, in the middle of all that, you promised to be with us. And I pray, Father, and ask that for anyone who is going through a season like that right now, that even in this moment, 
even right now in this very moment, they would feel your presence, to feel your love, to feel your strength, to feel your hope, to feel your encouragement, wrap around them in a giant hug. Father, that uh, even though we don't understand, even though we don't have answers today, we know that there will be a tomorrow and you will be with us. So Father, help us to find peace in that truth. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.